0: You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 7th of May, 2019, on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Bage. Coming up on today's program, the UK will indeed take part in European elections. We all knew it would happen, but why did it take so long for some in Westminster to accept the obvious? My guests, Quentin Peel and Victor Bulmer-Thomas will be discussing the impact on Brexit and the day's other top stories, including a look at Panama's new president-elect and what he has planned for the strategically important Central American nation and...
1: Inside in the prison and also around the world, people who are wishing to release us. So
0: I would like to say thank you very much for everything. Two Reuters journalists are released after 500 days in a Burmese jail. What does it mean for freedom of the press and the stalled or backsliding development of Myanmar? All that plus Prince Charles heads to Germany. Will he be mentioning the B-word to Angela Merkel? That's all to come here on Midori House with me, Daniel Beach. Welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Quentin Peel, specialist on European affairs and former foreign editor of the Financial Times, and Victor Bulmer Thomas, associate fellow in the Americas program at Chatham House. Uh, welcome both back to the program, gentlemen. Uh, we're going to begin here in the UK. David Lidington, the de facto deputy prime minister, I guess we can call him, of the UK, has confirmed the country will have to take part in the upcoming European elections at the end of this month. The target of the House of Commons being able to reach a consensus on how the the UK should leave the EU will not be achievable with Theresa May's Conservatives and Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party locked at an impasse and the country is of course legally obliged to take part in that upcoming vote the 23rd of May that will be good news uh, to the growing list of potential MEP candidates queuing up to make a point over Brexit in the coming weeks I guess gentlemen but uh, Quentin perhaps we'll start with you uh, this was to be expected I guess but uh, how many failures in moving the Brexit process forward should Theresa May be allowed to have <laughs> <laughs>
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, it has been pretty obvious for quite a long time that we would have to take part in these European elections. But Theresa May's conservatives have been desperate to avoid it because they know they're going to get absolutely hammered. Mm. But so I think may the Labour Party, because both of these big parties uh, have no obvious policy. They're split. And so they will go into these elections with the key issue, Europe, uh, one on which they don't have a coherent position. And that was why we had a great battle in the Labour Party um, with those trying to persuade Jeremy Corbyn that he would back a referendum and then at least he'd have a position. But he's still sitting on the fence. Mm -hmm. And as for Theresa May, well, as we know, she's got a party that is profoundly divided between the hardline Brexiters who just want out and the more pragmatic people who want to stay as close as possible to the European Union. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get clobbered by the hardline Brexiters led by Nigel Farage.
0: Uh, Conservative and Labour are still not conceding any ground to each other, it seems, on negotiations about how to proceed, Victor. Uh, what has to give here in this sense?
1: Well, it's ironic, isn't it, that we were told in the last three years that it was uh, the rest of Europe that would only... Uh, finalize negotiations at the very last minute and it seems now it's us because of course the danger of having yet another deadline this time october the 31st is that it's the brits who will be uh, postponing a decision until much later in the day so i don't expect anything to come out of the cross-party negotiations Uh, the costs are very very high the benefits relatively small i think Um, i can't see Uh, Parliament uh, reaching a consensus. Uh, uh, They couldn't do it before, I can't see it now. And so, presumably, this will rumble on until, hopefully, at some point, parliament will agree to a second referendum.
0: as mm. he uh, already suggests the main parties uh, were sent a clear message during local elections uh, last week. Uh, are there storylines that are going to carry over, do you think, that you're watching? Well, uh, I think it is this question of the fact that
2: neither of the parties actually has something that you could call a manifesto, a policy that they can put out there. And they were punished in those local elections fundamentally because of that. Um, I you can say that they were punished both by people who wanted uh, want a hardline Brexit and those who don't want any Brexit at all, and they were caught in the middle, and they're in a very difficult position. So I think that the lesson of the of those local elections, which is that actually neither of the big parties uh, is, is in a strong position at all. That's going to be repeated in spades mm. in the European elections, because then you will have this Nigel Farage outright Brexit party running, and you'll have the new Change UK very pro Remain party running. They weren't running in the local elections, but they'll take more votes from the centre parties.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, my next question, Victor, uh, perhaps for you, is, is what role uh, Change UK and, and Brexit play in this? Because uh, UKIP did have a big role in the last, uh, the last time we did this.
1: Well, we can assume that the Brexit party will hoover up uh, most of the votes that UKIP got five years ago and possibly uh, do even better than that, uh, but won't necessarily break through the 30% uh, uh, boundary and it's, it's worth remembering that means that you know perhaps seventy seventy five percent of of the electorate will not vote for them. Um, clearly, this is a fantastic opportunity for Change UK, as it is for the Liberal Democrats and the Greens and. The three combined uh, should be able to break through that 30% barrier. Where I uh, would disagree with Quentin is this idea that there's some symmetry between the punishment that voters will meet out to the Conservatives and Labour. There's no doubt at all that both will be punished, but it's a bit like the difference in corporal and capital punishment. Mm. I think Labour will get corporal punishment. (laughs) I think the Conservatives may get capital punishment, and there is a big difference.
0: (laughs) What if uh, uh, Theresa May then? Uh, she's got this, this meeting with a, con- a committee of conservative backbenchers um, led by Sir Graham Brady, the, the 1922 committee. It seems she's a woman that, uh, or a leader that uh, is going to see this through. So she says no matter what. So so what if that?
2: She's under more and more pressure. She's in a terrible position. And if they do very badly, as I entirely agree with Victor, it could be capital yeah. punishment in the European elections. I do Really, even though she's hung on this far, I think she she can't hang on much longer because her party is in despair. Having said that getting rid of her will prove absolutely nothing because the numbers will remain the same in the House of Commons. There still won't be a majority for a conservative Brexit. And so, so as, as Victor said earlier on, I think that the only way out of this may well end up as being they have to have a second referendum. Hmm. It's the only thing that in a way saves both the Main parties from themselves. Last time we had a referendum, it was because the Tories needed it. The first time we had a referendum back in 1975, it was because the Labour Party was split. This time, they're both split, so maybe we have to have yet another.
0: Would you take that up, Victor?
1: Yes, I think uh, I, I broadly I agree with that. I think um, it's worth stressing that there would be no shame, I think, in Theresa May saying, "Look." I negotiated a deal in good faith with the other 27 EU members. Parliament doesn't want to back it. But the fact is that this is a withdrawal agreement that would allow us to have Brexit. I am therefore going to put it to the people. If that were to get through Parliament, clearly that would save her skin because you can't possibly start talking about removing the leader at a time when you have many months of preparations for that referendum. Sure.
0: Uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, Central America. I want to make sure we have uh, a good amount of time to speak about Panama. Not something we always speak about on this show, but Panama does have a new president-elect. The center-left candidate L- Laurentino Cortizo beat the center-right contender Ramula Ru in Sunday's contest and will soon take over from the right-leaning current president Juan Carlos Varela. Uh, the election comes at a pivotal time for Panama as it tries to shake off its image as a tax haven and nations in the region entertain the prospect of China taking a larger interest in investing as well, rather than their nearer neighbor, the U.S. Panama holds a lot of influence in that part of the world. A certain canal linking the Atlantic and Pacific uh, means it's a country many other nations want to be friends with. Victor, uh, talk us through really what took place at the weekend.
1: Well, it was a fairly classic Latin American electoral contest in which, an anti-corruption candidate was running against a candidate who was tarred with corruption by either his own behavior or that of his uh, party or his associates. And yet again, we've seen the anti-corruption candidate win. We have seen it in Mexico, where there was a sharp swing to the left. But the point is about uh, the the current Mexican president is he was fighting on an anti-corruption campaign. We've seen it in Brazil, where there was a sharp move to the right. But the point about Bolsonaro mm. is that there was a—he uh, was the anti-corruption candidate. Uh, so I think uh, Panama fits into that uh, pattern very, very well. Of course, the problem is uh, doing something about it: a, when you don't control uh, Congress, and b, when there are so many vested interests who uh, have no particular desire to uh, change their ways. But to be fair to this uh, this man. Uh, He has a personal record of good integrity, and I wish him
0: well. Hmm. Uh, Quentin, we mentioned the unique position Panama is in, not only geographically, but as an important ally to many. What about the question of foreign influence here? I, I imagine uh, with a new leader who's on this this ticket, this will will be a big part of his agenda: is how he he moves abroad and creates relationships there. What do you think? Well, I've no doubt that
2: Washington is is watching pretty closely because it is in in that very critical position. And and uh, Cotido, the the new president, he will be president after July the 1st, has one interesting thing in his track record. He once uh, uh, voted against a free trade agreement between Panama and the US. So they may be a bit nervous about what's going to happen there. Um, it's a funny... I, I was just looking at the track record of Panama. They've. I think I'm right in saying, Victor, they've rejected the sitting government every single time since Manuel Noriega, the dictator, was overthrown way back in uh, in 1990. So they they certainly um, do tend to punish the incumbent there. Um, the trouble is, does life ever change?
1: Exactly. Um, you know, there's been a lot to punish about. I mean, I was an election observer in Panama 25 years ago, uh, the first time that they were able to host elections after the overthrow of Noriega. And uh, it was... Uh, palpable, this sense of uh, desiring a change. And Panama is not an easy country to turn around. Corruption is deeply embedded. Uh, It goes back a long, long time. It goes back to when the United States was effectively the colonial power. Um, So rooting it out is... Not a simple matter, but the fact is that the people have spoken and they've made it clear that they are looking for that kind of uh, leadership from their new president.
0: Uh, what type of place is it otherwise? Is it quite a place of stability compared to its neighbors, though, when we look at uh, how other elections have gone and, and how just the general quality of life is?
1: Well, remember, one of its neighbors is Costa Rica, which yeah. is you know, always held up as a great model and incidentally uh, had itself a very interesting uh, election uh, recently. Um, To the south is uh, Colombia, uh, with which Panama obviously has a slightly more difficult relationship because until 1903 it was part of Colombia, until it was forcibly extracted by uh, U.S. intervention. So... um, uh, It has always learned to, uh, it has always tried ever since uh, uh, the return of the Canal Zone in 2000, it has always tried not to get too deeply embroiled in these um, sort of state power battles. Mm. And it will continue to do so. So I don't see this new President uh, Cortizo being uh, anti-American. He said he wants good relations with the United States. The Panama-U.S. free trade agreement still stands. Uh, He's not going to tear it up. Uh, But he will be very reluctant to be drawn into a battle against Maduro in Venezuela, for Mm. example. And he will be careful about how close he gets to China, whose investments, of course, are very important.
2: I I imagine the Chinese Mm. trade through the Panama Canal is uh, pretty massive, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, what does uh, this new uh, president, elect Cortizo, have to be wary of then? If if he does uh, uh, reach out to the Chinese, uh, I imagine the relationship with the um, with the Americans is the most important.
2: I think that's the uh, absolutely the most sensitive thing, mm. and uh, he, so they have to be quite careful in the balancing act that they play with in the region. Um, and uh, so, you know, will they with somebody like Trump, who is so uh, unpredictable, really in his uh, attitudes? And and So <coughs> I think um, so, sort of determined to um, to use every card he can get in, to him, the biggest relationship of all, undoubtedly the U.S.-China relationship, um, one wonders if Panama mightn't get
0: a bit squeezed. Mm. Uh, I wonder, Victor, if the, the Venezuela question played into the uh, campaigning at all ahead of this vote.
1: Not as far as we can tell. Um, as I say... Panamanians have a lot to focus on uh, in terms of domestic politics and the scandal from the Panama papers has really rocked the country. Uh, No one likes to see their country dragged through the mud, even though of course a lot of good has come out of the the leaks from the Panama. Panama could be said to have uh, made a big improvement in some ways to global governance and all the rest of it. Uh, But it wasn't, of course,
0: of of their choosing. Uh, It came about by by chance. Has there been tangible change out of that uh, experience? Uh, of the Panama Papers?
1: Just a sense, I think, that... Panama's uh, uh, reputation as a tax haven as a place for uh, Slightly dodgy shipping registrar this sort of thing is it sits uncomfortably with with many many people having said that This is a service-based economies commodity exports are negligible. It lives by exporting services and so uh, it has to clean up its act if it wants to be able to continue to be the place where people do business for banking, insurance, uh, financial intermediation, and all the rest of it. Mm.
0: Well, that is very interesting. And I'm, I'm sure something we will pick up uh, as uh, Cortese, the new president, comes into office in the summer. You are listening to Midori House here with me, Daniel Bache, Victor Bulmer-Thomas, and Quentin Peel. Coming up next, a good day for journalists, two of them anyway, in Myanmar. Does it mean anything for freedom of the press and the progress of that nation?
1: Download the free Monocle24 app today to tune in wherever in the world you happen to be. Whether you're catching up on the news on your daily commute, enjoying a little cultural nourishment during your morning run, or seeking some recipe inspiration around the kitchen table, the Monocle24 app allows you to tune in live or download your favourite shows to enjoy later. Get started by downloading the Monocle24 app today. Monocle 24.
2: Keeping an eye and an ear on the world. For a
1: global perspective and some fresh ideas direct to your door on business, culture, and design, not to mention fashion, travel, and much more, subscribe today and join the world of Monocle. As a valued subscriber, you'll get a 10% discount in all Monocle shops and our online store. You'll also be the first to receive exclusive invitations to our events and have full access to the magazine archives. In addition, all one-year subscriptions come with a free, limited-edition Monocle tote bag. With four bespoke subscription packages to choose from, you decide what suits you and your lifestyle best. What are you waiting for? Visit monocle.com and subscribe today.
0: Welcome back to Midori House. Still with me, Victor Bulmer Thomas and Quentin Peel. Two Reuters journalists in Myanmar who have been languishing in jail for nearly two years have been freed this week. They were targeted by authorities for their involvement in reporting on the murders of 10 Rohingya men by the military government, uh, or the Myanmar military, rather. There have been allegations that the journalists, Wei Lone and Chao So U, were set up by an entrapment operation by police, and their imprisonment, a sentence of seven years, has drawn widespread condemnation from around the world. Their early release after 500 days was thanks to a presidential pardon, in fact. Uh, Quentin, obviously this is good news uh, for those two men and for their families. Uh, we saw some nice pictures of, uh, of them being reunited today. Is it a good day for journalism and and freedom of the press in general. Well, it's been... Their case has been a huge
2: cause celebre for the last year or more um, uh, around the world. They were awarded a Pulitzer Prize for their coverage. I was on a judging panel uh, for looking at all their work in in uh, Myanmar and it was very impressive and very thorough and very carefully done so I don't think anybody outside uh, Myanmar actually was ever persuaded that this was anything mm. other than a, a rigged case where yeah. the evidence was planted having said that, um, has it re- is it really going to change things in Myanmar for the, for the media I do rather doubt that I mean after all they've been pardoned i.e assumption of guilt, which right. I don't think was ever there, and uh, I don't think that the situation is going to get very much easier in the in the near future.
0: Yeah, well, this pardon was part of a wider amnesty, not uncommon around um, uh, the new year in Myanmar, which is uh, in mid-April this year. Uh, some 6,500 prisoners are to be freed in total, and it seems obvious the release of, of these two men, Victor, uh, was done as part of this wider amnesty to perhaps downplay the international pressure which was put on the country's ruling class to to release them in the first place?
1: Yes, of course, uh, absolutely right. Uh, that we've seen examples of this in, in many, many other countries, where uh, the pressure from outside to release an individual becomes overwhelming uh, to the point where the country has to act, but to save face, it does so as part of uh, some other exercise. Um, so I agree with Quentin. I don't see this as marking any big change in. Uh, The way in which journalism is conducted in Myanmar, I would think if I was a journalist there, I would still be very nervous about uh, the reaction to uh, many investigative stories. Nonetheless, we should recognize that two uh, brave journalists have been released and... Uh, perhaps just as important, is international pressure can work. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's something to celebrate, definitely.
2: It has been very damaging, though, for Aung San Suu Kyi yeah. as the so-called senior counselor to the, uh, to the president. It shows, I think, partly that she really doesn't have that much influence on the military, and partly that uh, at the basis, her own support is very nationalist support too, because this is action by the military against this Muslim minority, the Rohingya, and uh, it's been very brutal and very cruel
0: and does not appear to be unpopular in Myanmar. Hmm. Well, it's interesting that uh, Aung San Suu Kyi was the, the cause celebre not too long ago in that country, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, but uh, she's been dragged through the mud, in a sense, for not speaking up. Uh, perhaps she wasn't able to. But uh, part of this was apparently that the families appealed to her, and, and, and she did have some influence to play here.
2: Well, there was a hope when they were they lost their final appeal uh, a couple of months back, and, and there was very much a hope that she would be involved in getting them a mm. pardon. We don't actually know what has is- triggered this I don't think anybody said put their finger on it although there's been a lot of negotiating going on behind the scenes Reuters their employers but also the United Nations and indeed uh, the British foreign secretary was out there. Loads of people have been out there trying to raise the pressure.
0: Oh, well, a greater theme perhaps here is a, is a bit of good news and bad news for this country. I wonder what it says about the d- development of Myanmar in general. Uh, lately, it seems you don't hear much about the nation beyond the the, the, the Rohingya uh, cl- crisis in Rakhine State. Um, you know, five or six years ago, it was about the company, uh, country opening up. Uh, uh, Twelve years ago, we had the Saffron Revolution. So, it's it's been a, a trying time, but there seemed to be some some great development happening. I wonder if that has stalled, uh, or is it that we just expect this rapid progress, Victor, and it just it just doesn't happen that way in a nation like this.
1: Well, I think historians looking back will say the military played a relatively weak hand extremely well hmm. because they seem to have been able to hang on to their power and privileges while conceding uh, very very little and to be brutal they have found in on sang su Kyi a willing accomplice uh, it, it's almost um, unbelievable the way she was put on a pedestal by uh, uh, Western powers as a person who would somehow transform Myanmar and establish, uh, you know, free and fair democratic rules in a uh, post-military context. But that hasn't happened. Uh, Many people were skeptical about it at the time. Uh, But we should, I think, be careful when we see other similar leaders put on a pedestal and we're told that they will be the ones who transform an otherwise corrupt or dysfunctional
0: state. Uh, would you take that up, uh, Quentin? Do you think our expectations have been uh, a little bit too high for this country?
2: I think so, yes. And I think that it's a sort of almost desperate desire to see them succeed. And I think with Myanmar, rather like with Panama, we're talking about a small, relatively small country, much bigger than Panama, but um, caught in the geopolitical tensions. There's China really pushing very much to get Myanmar on on their side to get access to the minerals that there are there and so on and i think that's been a factor in the western world so to speak if that's still a concept that really works uh, trying to be too nice i think to the military too quickly in order not to see them switch over to the chinese it's a funny old world isn't it victor the two of us spent mm-hmm. most of our lives watching the cold war and we're back in a similar sort of situation with these countries getting caught between the great competitors
0: of a new great game. Absolutely fascinating, Uh, gentlemen. Let's uh, just make sure we have time uh, to speak about Prince Charles uh, on today's program. Uh, He is in Berlin today as part of a four-day tour of Germany. He's met Angela Merkel and is expected to make comments during he and his wife Camilla's stay on the UK's relationship with its European neighbours. The royal family in the UK stays out of political matters, supposedly, and it's expected that Charles will not be using the B word during this trip. But what can we read uh, between the lines about this? Quentin, do you think Charles will have anything sensible to say about Brexit? We have to throw the word in there because we like it. It's okay. (laughs) He's clearly
2: made comments there that um, do relate to Brexit, very much along the lines of. the very good and close relations between the United Kingdom and Germany must be preserved through this time of transition, he said. Our relations are perhaps in transition. Um, And the, the British royal family, because they are so... Uh, closely related to Germany and many German families and come in a direct line from the Hanoverians or whatever um, and saxo Gotha they uh, are regarded with a rather special affection in hmm. Germany I mean when I was there for a couple of state visits by the Queen and she is adored in Germany and the fact that Prince Charles has just had a new grandson was headline news on the front pages of German newspapers hey it's a boy and so when he talked about relations with Germany there is a resonance funnily enough Mm. and I think that the British government is really trying to use him they've moved the Queen's birthday party which is supposed to be in June all the way to now so that he could meet lots of people at the British Embassy
0: Well, that is really interesting. Um, uh, Victor, what role do you think uh, Prince Charles is playing uh, right now? And do you think uh, that is important in in future relations between the countries?
1: Well, I think you you said that it's a tradition that the royal family doesn't get involved in political matters. Mm. I would just qualify that. They're not supposed to get involved in party political matters. Uh, But they do get involved in political issues because we see all the time uh, the royal family representing uh, the British government in issues which are thought to be nationally important. I mean, Charles was in Cuba recently uh, at a time when President Trump was putting the screws yet again on Cuba and tightening the embargo. I mean, that's a pretty political thing to do. And it was seen as such both by the United States and and by the Cubans. Now, in in Germany, talking about brexit although he won't use the word is a political issue it's not a party political right. issue because the two main parties are committed in terms of their last election manifesto to respect the results of the referendum in 2016 now if the Liberal Democrats or the greens was the you know the the, the official opposition then it would become a party political issue sure. but right now it's not so I don't think it's particularly controversial certainly a lot less controversial than, than going to <laughs> Cuba uh, it, in the the present international context. So I I wish him well, and it is perhaps fortuitous that he's just become a grandfather Hmm. uh, because everyone can
0: uh, rejoice in that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Quentin, just lastly and briefly, uh, is anyone paying attention to this trip? (laughs) <laughs> well, I rang a couple
2: of my British journalist colleagues in Germany, and I confess that neither of them was paying any attention. But it is there on the, in the right. German media. As I say, there's this soft spot. And there's one other thing about Prince Charles that they love in Germany, and that's his organic farming and his very strong environmentalist attitude. It does go down very well in Germany, so he can play that one too.
0: Uh, we'll have to watch the gardening pages then in the German papers and, and see what comes of this, uh, of this journey. Uh, gentlemen, that does bring us to the end of today's show. Quentin Peel and Victor Bulmer-Thomas, thank you so much for joining us here at Midori House. Today's show produced by Tom Hall, research by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and Rory Goderick. Our studio manager, David Stevens. There is more music next than at 1900 hours. It's Monocle on Design with Josh Fennert, and we'll have more on the day's main stories on the Monocle Daily with Andrew Muller at 2200 London time, 1700 in New York. Midori House back tomorrow at the same time, 1800 in London. I'm Daniel Bache. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye.